Good morning. This is Donna Tyson with Rivers of Faith, produced by Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. Thank you all for joining us. This is Donna Tyson with Rivers of Faith, and I am so excited that you tuned in with us again this morning. Every Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock, we'll be sharing stories from guests about how their faith encouraged them and helped them get through some difficult times. And this morning, I am honored to have a friend and someone that I admire greatly, Miss Liz Gilland, who is the Horry County Council Chairman. Liz? Good morning. Good morning, Donna. So good to have you with us. Thanks. Good to be here. It's a good thing. Well, um, Liz, I know you, but I'm not sure that everyone here knows your story and how (laughs) you got to where you are in life right now. So I'm going to ask you to give me an overview of the milestones of your life that brought you to where you are now. A quick rundown. Okay, here we go. 60 years in two minutes. (laughs) Um, I was born and raised in a small river town called Conway, South Carolina, about 15 miles, 14 miles from Myrtle Beach, and uh, lived every summer at the beach and during the winters and the school year in Conway. Went to Columbia College, which is a women's college in Columbia, South Carolina, graduated with a B.A. in English, got a master's at Carolina in counseling, Worked at Furman University after teaching a couple of years in a high school. Worked at Furman University where the the kids there for two years taught me two things. To fall in love with contemporary Christian music and, and, well, didn't teach me this. I met uh, a young woman who kind of changed my direction. Her name happened to be Amy Grant, and she lived right down the hall, two doors down from my apartment. The first year I was there was her freshman year. And while I was falling in love with contemporary Christian music, um, the second year she was preparing to move back to Nashville, and I realized that folks around my area of the country had never heard of contemporary Christian music. It was in its infancy in the early 80s. So I left my career, uh, or the late 70s, I guess. I left my career in education where I'd been for 30 years, and, uh, or since I was born, it seems like I was in school. And I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, stayed there for 10 years working in the contemporary Christian music business with um, Amy and Michael Smith and all those early folks in contemporary Christian music. I I did promotional work, PR work. I started writing, and I did a number of cover stories for CCM magazine and had a couple of regular monthly columns in some trade magazines. Planned on and got involved in missionary work through my church there. Loved the people there, loved my life there, loved my church there, and thought that that would be home base forever. But in the summer of 90, my mom fell and broke her hip, and I came home for what I thought would be uh, two or three months. (laughs) And this month, it is 20 years later, and I'm still here. Um, Wow. Very unexpectedly. In fact, I can remember just sitting down when I felt like the Lord was telling me to stay, I remember saying, what in heaven's name is there for me to do here? Because nothing of what I'd been doing in Nashville translated down here. Uh, In fact, there was not even contemporary Christian music on the radio, no Christian music. So among other things, I worked uh, worked in a real estate office for a few months. I was a night manager for a friend's ice cream parlor. And then one day, I went into a, um, a radio station here and after thinking that I need to go try to get my music on the air, which was contemporary Christian music. 
and I walked out with a three-hour show. Coincidentally, and of course I know that God is disguised when we call it a coincidence, um, they had just lost a three-hour show, uh, syndicated show, on Sunday morning. So I walked out knowing Christian music, having the CDs, knowing the artists, knowing the stories behind the song, not knowing beans about being a DJ. But I figured I could learn because I had a three-hour Sunday morning show. So I named it. I named it the contempt, the uh, the Sunday morning show, so that everybody would remember when it was, and went on the next week playing. My slogan was all the music I love to hear. If there's something you want to hear, call me. If I love it, I'll play it. And I just had fun with it. <laughs> and after a few years, uh, the Nielsens rated it the highest ranked um, local show in this area on all the radio stations, which was kind of a kick. And to this day, that was in. 91, 92, uh, up until about 98. And to this day, people still comment about my radio show and tell me that that's how they first heard of me and first began to like me and, you know, miss hearing it. And, and quite honestly, that's probably one of the most fun jobs I've ever had in my life. But from there, one morning I was looking through the paper because I would comment on things in between songs, looking to see if there was something I could poke fun at or or make a reference to, and on the front of the local section, there was a big article about um, topless bars in the Myrtle Beach area, and tourism is our number one, is the economic engine that runs not only our county, but our state. We've got 14 million tourists a year. At the time, I think it was 13 million, but I knew instinctively that topless bars and adult entertainment would not mix with family vacation spots. So, and a topless bar had gone for a variance before our zoning board the month before and had gotten an approval to build a new topless bar right across from the hottest tourism site on the beach at the time. And I was outraged. And another one was asking for a variance that very next night. So I got on the air and said, look, we've got to stand up and tell the folks that this is not what we want. We've got to insist that they not give a variance. And I flipped into a song and backed against the, the room until I hit the wall and burst into tears. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what have I done? Because I knew that something much bigger than me was, was kind of controlling that. And sure enough, the line formed behind me, and I led uh, a county grassroots movement that took from that April until the following December. Uh, I ended up speaking on radios, on television, before civic groups, before church groups, before the Planning Commission, the Zoning Board of Appeals, the County Council. They had a referendum. Seventy-six percent of the people felt the way I did when the, the politicians, and politicians, when they're always chicken to take a stand, they, they, they put it on a referendum. So uh, they did that, and sure enough, 76% of the people felt the way I did. Referendums are awful because they're always worded so complicatedly that you can hardly understand them. I feel like if it had been simple questions, most everybody would have agreed. But anyway, uh, we put restrictions on the topless bars that have lasted to this day, and there's currently no legal one anywhere in the unincorporated area of this county. Wow. And And... There are a lot of illegal ones, and it's that's a whole other story about how difficult it is to get rid of them. But in the middle of all that, people started asking me to run for office. And it was something that I had not only not ever considered, I had actively turned away from. 
Um, during the war, my mom worked for a congressman in Washington, and she loved it. In all my high school years and all my college years, or my late high school years and all my college years, she kept saying, don't you want to work in Washington for the summer? I can get you a great job up there. And I would say, Mama, I am not interested in politics. I just don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and God I, had a different oh my plan goodness. for you. He certainly did. Uh, but when the first questions came up, I prayed about it, and I felt like the Lord gave me two answers. And I'm not one that feels like I hear from God, you know, a voice in the night or something. But I asked two people, one who loved me most and one who really didn't like me but knew me well. And both of them had pretty much the same answer, and it was um, not this time. And I, but I felt like the Lord was saying, but keep an eye on the political arena. So I watched for two years, and I ran the next time around, not for the state house as I had been encouraged to do, but for the local county council because I felt like the issues I cared most about were the ones in my own backyard. Mm-hmm. And I beat the incumbent, and I've been there ever since. That was 16 years ago. Wow. I love hearing about the previous chapters of someone's life, you never realize all the different chapters that led up to who they are now. And I think that's such an inspiration to all of us listening that, um, you know, wherever you are right now is just a stepping stone to the future. We really don't necessarily know where we're going to be five years from now. And we just need to be learning and growing and trusting God that he's got a plan for our life. I Amen to that. I agree because I've gotten to the point and I got there some years ago where I don't make plans anymore because I know <laughs> the Lord is going to guide me and I just trust. Um, I, I ran not for office this past election, but from office. And uh, people keep asking me, what are you going to do when your term ends this this December? And I don't have a clue. But I know that when the Lord shuts a door, and he made it very clear to me that I was to walk away from this job, from this arena at this time, I know when he shuts a door, he's going to open another one. So I'm not concerned about it at all. Although if it gets to be mid-December and I don't have something in January, I may be struggling a little bit more than I am right now. But uh, I just, uh, something's going to open up. You can just come stay with me, and we'll figure out a new, some new business that Absolutely. we can go into together. You know, I want to talk to you about being in the public eye, Liz. You, I think people have always trusted that you speak and make decisions truly from your heart of what you think is best for the people um, when you're making your political decisions. Um, when you do that, you're going to put people into different camps, and they're going to be people that love you and people who would love nothing more than to take you down. So I'm going to give you a minute to think about it. We're going to take a short break and come back, and I want to talk to you about how do you handle it when you've got a target on your back and the public is attacking you. Okay, we're going to take a short All break. Right. Stay with us with Rivers of Faith. Welcome back. This is Donna Tyson with Rivers of Faith, produced by Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. And I am so excited to have our guest, Liz Gillen, the Horry County Council Chairman. That's a lot to say, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> it is, and let people know why you are calling me the chairman. It's because I'm just not politically correct, and uh, <laughs> I, I ran for the chairman's seat, and I won the chairman's seat, and so I told folks, just call me the chairman. I never liked it when they, you had to change your name just because you, to show your gender. Like, people would get it mixed up if they call me a chairman. They would think I was a man or something. That's just foolish. 
So anyway, Absolutely. I'm I'm weird that way, and it, it kind of freaks people out, but I don't care. <laughs> oh, I love it. I think it just makes a statement that you're going to stand on your political issues and the decisions that you make and not on your gender. Absolutely. And I think there's great wisdom in that. Before the break, we talked about all your exciting background in um, contemporary Christian music and about the fact that this chapter of your life really wasn't a decision that in 1990 your mom broke her hip and you came back for what you thought was going to be a short stint and it has ended up being an extended stint. Oh my goodness, yes. Because you believed in um, your community and took a stand, that's how you got involved in politics. And then you find yourself as the chair of the council, as one of the sole females. Do you think that being a female has had any impact on the way that the gentlemen have interacted with you? Oh, I absolutely do. Let me, let me rewind 16 years. When I was elected to council in 94, um, another woman was elected with me, and a woman was unelected. The first woman who had ever been on council was defeated. And so I went in with another woman on council, and she got along with the guys great because she didn't say much and, and would follow their leadership in, in issues. And I had a mind of my own, and I was very outspoken, and I always did my homework. So when they would come up with a way they wanted to vote, lots of times it was for a friend, doing a favor, a backroom deal or whatever, and they'd have no good argument for, for it. Mm-hmm. And I would out-argue them, and they just hated me. And mm-hmm. when, I wouldn't do, when I wouldn't vote the way outside power people told me, and they realized I wasn't going to do that if it wasn't right, um, they began to hate me too. So I have never really been embraced by a lot of the political folks in the county, and this is a dreadful county for politics. I mean, South Carolina, I guess everywhere is, but even in South Carolina, Horry County has a uh, reputation for pretty dirty politics. But it's, well, uh, let me it's ask been you, tough. Let me ask you a question. You're obviously someone who has um, lived a life trying to live a Christian life, Love is a big part of that. I think, as I know you well enough to know, everybody wants to be accepted and liked. So how do you handle it when people in the public attack you and it turns personal? What do you do personally to be able to deal with that? I go home and lick my wounds. (laughs) No, actually, I I have done that. Um, I, I just, I really sometimes just get with myself and with the Lord I used to go home and grab my dog, and we would um, mm-hmm. we'd go for a ride, or we'd go out in the yard and play. And I, I started telling folks that every politician needs a dog, because no matter what you do and how mad people get with you, you go home and you are the most important person in the world to that animal, and he loves you unconditionally, and it'll change your, your heart, uh, or your mood at least. And so, um, but I would I would... I started out 16 years ago saying, Lord, I'm gonna, I, I will not let this job, uh, I would let, not let the political arena change me. And if I ever see myself getting puffed up by it, because I've seen that a lot, I'll walk away. Um, but I also said, I'll tell the truth as I see it, and I will just uh, stand firm. And so that's what I've done, and there's no backing down once you decide to do that. Absolutely. Or I guess there is, but you shouldn't. Um, I, I want to 
give a resource here to the people who are listening who may be in a comparable position in this. If you're in a position of leadership where sometimes you have to take some hard stands, one of my favorite books that I teach in my leadership course is a book called The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And he talks about the ancient Toltec civilization who were the wisest of men and how they created their own society and had to create a structure to live within. And rather than create bylaws and covenants and restrictions and commandments and constitutions, they selected four simple agreements to live by. And this book has really changed my life in the way that I allow outside opinions to impact my life. And the four agreements were these. And, you know, I can take you to any leading management book and show you these same agreements. I can take you to the leading holy books of any major religion, show you these same words, and I can take you to the Holy Bible and show you specific scripture that says them as well. The first agreement was always tell the truth. Always tell the truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. The second agreement was don't take it personally. (laughs) Whenever anything is happening, don't say how could they do this to me. It's not about you. And to take your ego out of the way. The third agreement was don't make assumptions. Don't assume you know why somebody said something or did something or didn't say something or do something. There's always another fact, and you need to get the facts before you take action. And the fourth agreement was to always give your best. And I just think they are so powerful, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. When I look at you, Liz, I see a woman and a politician who lives these four agreements daily. And I compliment you on that. That, Those those are great, and I need to get the book as well because that's that's pretty – that's strong. And that's so simple. Anybody can remember four things. And oh, that, is, yeah. that is very scriptural, too. My slogan, my campaign promise from the very first has been the simplest thing in the world. Work hard, play fair, and stay honest. That is all I ever promise because those are the things I can control. Absolutely. I can't, I can't promise to get something passed or to block something or to change something because it takes a majority vote, and I'm only one. But I can work hard. And I can play fair, and I can stay honest. And I've done that for 16 years, even though it seemed like it was uphill both ways sometimes. (laughs) Well, you know, you've been in politics for a long time, and there are a lot of people who don't know you as anything other than a politician. That's true. And (laughs) you, well, just the truth. You're right. And, um, and. And so there is there is a chapter that is going to start now where um, your life has changed dramatically. You've gone through a lot of losses, and I'd like to take us there now for a moment about how to handle private pain when you're in the public eye. I know that this year um, you've lost your mother, who you mm-hmm. have been taking care of since 1990. Tell us a little bit about what your schedule um, involved taking care of her these last several years. Wow. Uh, For the last, I think my mom went into uh, the hospital and then rehab and then a nursing home about five or six years ago. And uh, I, it began a new life for me in a sense, because particularly the last 
two, two and a half years, I would do what was on my calendar for the day, go home, pick up my dog, feed the dog and cat, and then my dog and I would go and visit mom. And we would be there um, until usually 10.30 or 11 o'clock every night, and I'd go home and start the next day again. And it was I was burning the candle at both ends and running on empty and whatever other cliche you wanted to use, but it was really difficult. And when I would get so exhausted, and once a week, um, one of the weekend nights, we would spend the night. They would even let Buddy spend the night with us. And uh, so we'd do that sometimes twice, sometimes Friday and Saturday night, just because it pleased her. And uh, But it was hard, and people would say, oh, you will never regret doing this. And I would think inside, but it is so hard now, and I'm so tired. And I'd like to get a little bit of time to myself. And I would smile and say, oh, I know. But the moment the Lord took her, um, I've never regretted. They were exactly right. So if there are folks out there listening and they have become caregivers to anyone, it is hard. It is exhausting. It is difficult. Uh, It is not always a thankful job, kind of like politics. But honestly, the moment that person is is no longer here, you will be flooded with a gratitude that you spent whatever hours you spent, whatever energy it took, whatever heartache uh, you sacrificed, or whatever whatever of yourself you sacrificed, because that's so true. But and it, it is hard it when you're going through it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is hard when you're going through it. The um, How long ago did your mom pass? She, the end of, of January 28th, okay. yeah. Okay. And so that was how we started off the year with a significant loss there of, of really part of your identity. And then mm-hmm. your precious dog, Buddy, oh, who goodness. Buddy was your best friend and your child. Um, Absolutely. That you loved greatly. Buddy has also passed. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, even before that, my sister, who is my only sibling, my brother was in a car wreck in 76 and went to be with the Lord. But my sister, um, who had married just a few weeks after John was killed, um, was three days from her 33rd anniversary, and her husband walked out. And so not only did I lose a second brother, but uh, I had a sister with a broken heart and a shattered life. So it started that way last summer, and then Mom mom went home in January, and the dog, Buddy, was one that I had gotten for her once my father died because I was out so much at night, and she was real skittish alone by herself at home. And uh, sometimes I wouldn't get in until late, and so I got her a dog. I hadn't had a dog since high school. But I bought her this little Pomeranian, hoping he would be a lap dog, and he grew to be about 20 pounds, so he couldn't sit in her lap. But he was a delight to her and to me, and once she was in the nursing home, he became my constant companion. I was silly about him. I I do a Bible study on Wednesday mornings in Georgetown, which is about 30 minutes away. And he rode with me every Wednesday morning this year. It's a two-hour Bible study. He'd sit in the car and wait. He, he would be with me if I went with friends out to dinner at night. He'd sit in the car and wait, and then we'd, I'd take him somewhere, and we'd run, or he would run. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. But uh, I adored that dog, and he just loved me. But um, the day before my birthday, and it was a big one. I was turning 60, which was another reason the year was a difficult one. Um, I, I took him in to get a checkup because he didn't seem to be feeling well, and I picked him up knowing that the doctor had diagnosed that he had cancer and it was had a big mass in his stomach and it was in his lymph nodes and maybe other organs and I was completely undone 
Yes. And, uh, and you still had to function. And that's what I want to uh, talk about. When, you, when you're going through this kind of loss, you've lost your mother, you've lost your, your pet who is the closest living yeah. entity to you. And people were attacking you hard during that time, Liz, for, mm-hmm. for lots of issues that were very controversial. So, you know, it, you couldn't even get a breath. How did you hold on? How did you hold on? What scriptures did you cling to that gave you strength? You know, Donna, I, I'm, I don't have a shaky faith. Um, I have one that runs real deep and has for quite a while. And I know that I know that I know. And whether it's all things are possible with God or... Uh, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of discipline. Or uh, sometimes it was First Timothy one fifteen: Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the the worst. <laughs> but Absolutely. just going to the scriptures and reading, or reading books about a lot of um, Max Lucado's books comfort me. Some of the things uh, that he writes, he personalizes Jesus so well. Absolutely. And, uh, one, of, one of my favorite scriptures in tough times is Romans 5, 3, and 4 that talks about how surf, suffering creates perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope never fails. And uh, with that thought, we're going to take another short break. We're going to be right back with Rivers of Faith on Hear Women Talk. Welcome back, everyone. This is Donna Tyson with Rivers of Faith, produced and broadcast by Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. My guest today is Liz Gillen, Horry County Council Chairman, and we're talking about dealing with losses and reestablishing your identity while you're in the public eye. Liz, you were talking about facing death of, you know, the loss of your mom and your beloved pet at the same time that you were in a highly visible public political battle and um, some of the things that sustained you in that. Do you have any other thoughts about dealing with loss when you're in the public eye? Um, I do. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I wouldn't, it, one of the slogans is don't ever let them see you sweat. You heard that from a commercial. <laughs> Mine is don't ever let them see you cry. So I have, uh, there, tears are a wonderful cathartic thing. Uh, and I would go home and weep loud and long sometimes. But um, I also had some girlfriends. Not only the Lord sustained and comforted, um, but I have some girlfriends. I have two different sets of girlfriends in particular um, who are great to lean on and to laugh with. And there's nothing like forgetting your worries um, by getting with some folks that you love and doing something completely wild and crazy or just fun and and laughing together. And Absolutely. I have, let me tell you this. I've got one set of girlfriends that I've known all my life. It is so rare for 60-year-old women to have known each other all their life and still love each other, but we do. There's six of us, and we get together monthly. We've been doing that for about 25 years. And uh, about five years ago, they were out one night without me and decided we needed to have a name for our group. So they decided that all women like gyms. So we would be the gyms, and then they'd find an acronym for it. So Deanna came up with Girls with Everlasting Memories and Stories, which, was, which fit and was good. But about a year or two later, 
when we were trying to remember what it stood for, and I reminded someone, I reminded us that it was Girls with Everlasting Memories and Stories, the gyms. Uh, Pat, who is another one of the gyms, said, hmm, I know what it ought to be, girls entering menopause simultaneously. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what we were. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And that could be a dangerous group. Oh, but such a fun group. (laughs) Oh, and then I have the privilege of being in that second group of friends with you that we call ourselves the Yaya. The Yaya's. What and a we fine get crowd. And we eat. We just graze our way oh through my the goodness. problems of life. Eat and laugh and talk and cry, and it's a wonderful thing. It is. And, yeah. and I don't want to downplay the power of friends when you're going through tough times. Um, and just to get a, a word, give a word of support to text someone or call them in the morning or send them a funny card or invite them to just stop by and not expect them to be anything in front of you. And also to reach out. Um, about a month after my mom died, I was driving to the airport one morning to go off on a trip, a 10-day trip overseas with the chamber, and it hit me that, and I called a friend of mine, and she wasn't there, and I left a message, and she called me back just before I got on the plane, and she said, are you crying? And I said, yeah. It just dawned on me that I'm leaving town for 10 days, going across the, the ocean, and there's nobody to say goodbye to. There's nobody to say, call me when you get there so I'll know you're safe, and it just, uh, it was it was the first time I really came unglued after mom left. And wow. she and, and another friend texted and emailed me the whole way through that trip, and they were lifesavers for me. That's so important that we do that. And you know, Liz, anybody that sees you in a political arena, loneliness is not a, a thought that would come to mind. You come across mm-hmm. very self assured. And so sometimes we can present. Um, a mask in you know to the public that we don't need anybody's kind words or assistance and um and so that's i admire you that you're willing to talk about needing that friendship and needing those words of support oh my goodness don't we all if we're honest and uh you know sometimes you especially if i'm out in public with and sometimes it's just difficult because i've been um headlined to death or beat up politically or I've done something really stupid and it's been out there for the whole world to see, which is really, really awful. Um, And I've done that this past year several times. But um, you just have to fake it till you feel it. And I have so often faked that I was just fine and nothing bothered me and then would go home and, you know, have to breathe deep and get with my dog or go get by myself and talk with the Lord and uh, get with some friends and pull myself back together. But well, we have laughed the way about it is. The def- yeah, we have laughed about the definition of fine, that it is frustrated, <laughs> irritated, neurotic, and emotional. And that if we look at each other and say we're fine, we know that means we need some help. Absolutely. That's a clue. Uh, I just want to remind our listeners that you can call in and talk with Liz this morning. Our lines are open at 646-652-2071. Again, at 646-652-2071. I also want to encourage you to go to www.hearwomentalk.com and join our, um, our network of women there. It is one of the fastest growing networks of women anywhere today, and it doesn't 
cost anything. I have a group on there called Rivers of Faith where I would love for you to join that group free of charge. Give me your feedback on the shows. If you know of anyone that has been an inspiration to you, someone you think would have a good story to share on Rivers of Faith, I'd love to hear from you. And you can do all that again on www.hearwomentalk.com. And um, we love to hear from you. Speaking of future guests, Liz, tell me, is there anyone in your life that has really inspired you in the political arena? Ooh, the political arena. That's, that was unexpected. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Margaret Thatcher, believe it or not. Wow. Um, and she, why? Because she was just so... We share the same values, first of all. She, we are both strong conservatives. Um, but there are quotes of hers that I remember, like, you may have to fight a battle more than once to win it. Or uh, she once said, if my critics saw me walking across the Thames, they'd say it was because I couldn't swim. You know, she just uh-huh. she said, uh, if you set out to be liked, you would be prepared to compromise on anything at any time, and you would achieve nothing. I mean, the woman was just, she was in a far grander scale. She was in Britain like I am in Horry County. I mean, I sit on a, a, a board that is 11 men and me in the big seat. And most of them are alpha males and, and would really not care to have a woman sitting in the, in the chief seat, but uh, chief, not cheap. <laughs> but but I'm there, and, and uh, I just have to – I'm a different kind of leader because I'm a woman with all men that I'm supposed to kind of herd. We'll have to look for an autobiography on Margaret Thatcher and, and yeah. look at some of those quotes. That sounds like a good book to be reading to inspire me. What about in your personal life? Who's really made a difference in your life? You know – I was thinking driving here that you might ask something about that, and I realized that there's everybody has heroes and folks they look up to, and usually they're people you can't touch. They're you know in the public arena, and you may never have even seen them in person. But the folks that have impacted my life have been folks that were right here with me, um, and the ones that I admire the most are the ones that I have watched walk, and that have been mentors or helped steer my life in the right direction or whatever. Whether it was Bootsy Holiday when I was in high school, uh, Gail Gulledge when I was in college, who led me back to the Lord, um, Amy Grant, Gil, uh, Mamie Mason when I lived in Nashville was another mom to me. And she was a godly woman who really just kind of tucked me under her wing and and let me walk with her for a while. Um, Diane Ashmore and her mom Ruth in Greenville, in in Greer, South Carolina, have had a huge impact on me. And uh, Mary Ann Bishop in this area, through not only her Bible teachings, but through her friendship, uh, she is a godly woman that is almost unmatched in my life for for Have you ever- desire for the Lord. Have you ever taken time to let them know that they have inspired you by writing a letter or note or calling them and telling them that? You know, some of them I have, and some of them I haven't yet, and you're reminding me that I need to do just that. 
Well, I I know that there are many people out there who would name you as one of the people who admire them, Liz. And I just wondered, have you ever received any kind of unexpected correspondence or communication that really touched your life? And that's an interesting question because just a week ago I was at mom sorting out some stuff, going through papers and all, and I found a couple of letters that um, older women in this area wrote me back in the wintertime when things were so dreadful politically and so difficult and and I was about as low as I've ever been and they wrote me words of encouragement and I was in such a state at the time I know I read them then but I didn't even remember them so it was like getting them anew and I'm writing them back to tell them now months later um, how incredibly much it helped at the time and how much it warms my heart to reread them now but uh, it just seems like there's always someone at the worst times who will come in with a, a note or a, a word of encouragement or a hug or something. And, and that, those things are priceless. That's great. Well, I want to encourage all our listeners to think about that. Somebody that has really touched your life, that has um, made a difference in your life in some capacity. The statistics say that uh, the average person only receives one thank you note every five years, unless it's for a wedding gift or a graduation gift. And um, that's scary. So I would encourage you to take a moment, let the people that you admire and that have touched your life know about it. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back to finish up with this Rivers of Faith program, talking with Liz Gillen about life in the public eye. Welcome back. It's a beautiful Tuesday morning on Rivers of Faith. I appreciate you all listening in. Hope you're enjoying listening to my guest, Liz Gillen, Horry County Council Chair, sharing her lessons of her life about um, just dealing with life in general and losses in the public eye. And Liz, you described yourself as a conservative. What do you think of what's going on in our country right now on the national level politically and the role of God and faith in that? Mm, Wow. Um, I'm disheartened with the way things seem to be going. Uh, I feel like the, uh, the Supreme Court and lower courts are making rulings that are uh, not necessarily godly. And there's, there's a real battle going on, I think, between conservatives and liberals, between, um, in another situation, between good and evil. And, uh, but I am very encouraged because I see the conservatives and the Christians, um, and they're not always the same. There are Christian liberals as well. But I see the folks who are concerned about the way the country is going becoming bolder and taking stands and uniting together, uh, it takes something pretty drastic, unfortunately, to get conservative Christians in the United States to take a stand. We are way too prone to sit back and watch and wait for somebody else to do it. Well, that's what I want to ask you is there are a lot of people listening who are liberals and believe just as strongly in their point of view. Do you think that one opinion really matters when you voice your opinion to a politician at the national level? How do we get our voice heard at that level? Um, 
writing or calling really does work. But there are also groups now that you can join a group and tie in with a group so that your voice is multiplied hundreds of thousands of times, literally. I know that there are conservative groups like that because I'm, I'm attached to a couple of them and uh, by email. And I know that there are, I'm certain that there are liberal ones as well. And, um, and that, that really multiplies because if you go into a congressman's office with a box full of letters, hundreds or thousands or literally sometimes hundreds of thousands of names, it, it has a big impact on that congressman because that's the people and the people is what put them in office or take them out. Okay. When you talk about politics in general, you're a person who had never served in any other political office before the position that you hold now. We oftentimes see politicians coming out on the national level now with a limited amount of experience um, at the state level even and heading towards very powerful positions on the national level. Do you think that's wise? Quite honestly, not particularly. In fact, what I don't think is wise is someone from the local level going to the state, to the legislature, with no local political experience. And we have that all over the place. Because if you don't know what a city council or a county council does, and in some states they're called commissions, in some states they're called judges, uh, different names, but it's the, the, the city or the municipality or the county or parish leaders, if you don't know how they run things and what they're responsible for and what their struggles are, when you get to the state, you can hurt them badly just out of ignorance. And oftentimes I see that when folks get to the state level, there's really an ego that says, I'm so much higher up than those locals, I don't have to listen to them. It has to be the same way to some extent with nationally, with the national level. Um, on the other hand, there is something to be said for just an ordinary average Joe or Jolene uh, coming into the political arena and saying, I am one of the people, I have uh, common feelings and common attitudes, meaning of the common man, and I think things are not going right, and I want to I have my voice heard, and I want to represent the ordinary folks, the regular people instead of the elites or those who feel that they are elites. And I think that's a good thing. So it's a mix. Well, and that's interesting because um, I always go back and think of Jimmy Carter, not because of his political stand, but because he was such an unknown mm -hmm. who then moved into a very visible presidential position there. And, and I think of politicians who have promised us the moon mm -hmm. on the you know, campaign trail, and then aren't able to deliver that. Is that a character flaw, or is that reality that one person really can't change government structure? One person by themselves cannot. Absolutely cannot. Not one member of the Supreme Court, not one president, and not, they can affect a lot, a president can. Um, they can can make all sorts of decrees. I mean, Obama's got his his hundred czars or or whatever they are that he's he's got people in powerful positions that weren't elected and and weren't even vetted by Congress. Um, but outside of the president, but still he can't influence a lot of things because it takes a congressional vote. 
And okay. so it's difficult. So the art of compromise means not compromising your values, but knowing what it is that you can back up and maneuver a little on um, in order to, to move the ball forward or the position forward in the way that you want it to go. Okay. Um, For people who have never been involved in politics at any level, who aren't very trusting of the process, and that realize that they, they do need to speak out, they need to take a stand um, on their belief structure, what would you recommend would be a starting point for the person who wants to get involved now? Um, I would say get involved first in a, in a leadership position in a civic group or a, or a church group or whatever. Um, and if you like being in a leadership role or if you already know that you're a leader from school experience or anything else, look at your local elected officials, whether it's city council or county council um, or commissions or whatever they're called in your area, and, and give it a try. I mean, you can go in like I did. I was such a naive politician. I mean, I was totally naive. In fact, I was sworn in my first time back in 95 of January, and I came home that afternoon and had two messages on my answering machine, people wanting me to dig their ditches or, or pave their roads, and I thought, oh, my gosh, am I responsible for that? I didn't have a clue. <laughs> I love it. And so well, you're obviously you learn. going to be... You're going to be stepping out of position in December. You've got a whole new chapter of life and really no ties to the Myrtle Beach area other than um, your sister who's living there mm -hmm. and some friends. And so you have a great freedom in front of you now. You've had a very diverse background. What do you think is the next chapter? What would you love to dabble in? If I stay around here and... Chances are I will, but I don't know, because if I'm led somewhere else, I'll go. But if I stay around here, I would really like to be involved in economic development for our area. We are in such need of diversifying our economy from just the tourism or farming. Agriculture is really suffering now, and uh, we need good, strong jobs in this, in this Grand Strand area, which is 60 miles in two counties. And uh, if I could help... Um, bring some, some new industry in or convince a local industry to, to expand so that they would hire more workers, that would be a terrific thing. And I think that we are really poised, and the next few years are going to be uh, tremendous in this area. So that's sort of what I'd like. Okay. If I well, go somewhere else, it may be mission work. I don't know. <laughs> you've been traveling a lot the last several years promoting economic development in Horry County. What was I your have. favorite place that you visited? My most unusual place and the one I took the most heat for was Dubai just because okay. it's fascinating. It's, uh, it was the fastest growing, I mean it came from a little spit of earth that was desert and because they had a whole lot of money and, and a leader with vision they became one of the most forward looking cities in the, in the world. Um, but I went there right at the edge of the recession which is worldwide and they told us it was really a good time to come because the, uh, the leader over there that we were with said, it's easy to come when times are good. Nobody comes when they're bad. But when you do, when times are getting bad, they remember. So I'm still hopeful that something will come out of that, of that trip. But That's I, great. I still prefer, uh, well, I don't know, I've been to China and Japan and all over Western Europe. Any but place, there's no place like home, is there? There is no place like home. Yeah, I love to visit, <laughs> love but there's no place like home. 
Well, I want to encourage you and all our listeners to be sure and stay tuned to the show that's coming up immediately following Rivers of Faith. It's a brand new show hosted by Deb Coletti, and she's going to be talking to a diverse group of women every week about their future and Deb on the show immediately following at 11 o'clock has Norma McGrody who was a former teacher Um, she needed to remake herself and she had to stop and ask herself what she knew about and she said well I know New York that's what I know I love it I've worked here and so she created uh, a new business called Norma Knows New York City and she introduces people from all over the world to New York City and guides them through how to have a wonderful stay. And I just think that's marvelous. I'm going to stay tuned and listen. I hope that it'll encourage all of our listeners to um, be excited about the next chapter of your life. I want to thank you again, Liz, for joining me today. It's been a quick hour. I appreciate your honesty and sharing your life and wish you just the best on the next chapter of your life. Thanks to you, Donna, Uh, too. This was fun. Thanks. And I want to remind everyone to join us next Tuesday. Next Tuesday, my guest will be Lisa Kratz Thomas, who has a fascinating story of a previous life of great addiction and prison and prostitution and God turned her life around. She has now authored a book that is a fabulous book entitled, This Is Your Life, Not a Dress Rehearsal, and she travels the country as an addiction specialist. It's going to be a fascinating week. I thank you again for your support. Join us on www.hearwomen.com. Give us your feedback on the show. May the rivers of faith carry you gently through life. This is Donna Tyson signing off from Rivers of Faith, Produced and broadcast by Zeus Radio Network for hearwomentalk.com.